I want to begin a six-part series on Elijah. As long as we're confined, I will keep doing, uh, keep teaching the Revelation on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We'll go as far as we can. I'm still in Luke on Sunday mornings, and I'm about through with it. So we probably will finish Luke. I don't know, but maybe by Easter Sunday, we'll see. Uh, and uh, we will have had a very thorough study of the Gospel of Luke, as we have many other books of the Bible over the last several years. Elijah, what's your, what's your greatest resource in life? We're thinking a lot about resources now with uh, with um, with uh, the coronavirus thing uh, and all of these quarantines and, and so forth. Greatest resources. Elijah is a very interesting study and maybe, well, not maybe, every time we open the word of God, it'll say something to us. He was a, a manic depressive kind of a guy. He went from a mountaintop experience crashing in the valley. Uh, we'll study more about all of that as we get through uh, the several verses that reference Elijah. But uh, we start out by understanding, we start out in the northern kingdom. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. It is not the southern kingdom of Judah. And we start out there, and uh, the son of David was not the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. The son of David, the sons of David were kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. So, so the kings in the northern kingdom were politicians. They were, uh, they were warriors. Um, they were cutthroats, you know. They, they were a lot of different kinds of uh, personalities. Mostly they, they knew their politics, and they were heavy-handed. They didn't have the... Uh, for the most part, they didn't. They didn't have the uh, the pleasant styles. The pleasant style that the sons of David had, generally speaking. But with that said, when we look at the history of the Northern Kingdom of Israel, we'll take note that along the way, a military adventurer whose name was Omri became the king of the northern kingdom, he came to the throne. Now his son was named Ahab, Ahab, or we'll call him Ahab. The story actually begins, and I'm clicking back and forth between uh, Bibles here. I'm gonna be in the New Testament a little bit. But from uh, over in be verse 30, and it reads like this, and Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of Yahweh more than all who were before him. Now, that's a heavy statement. He was worse than any king of the northern kingdom before him. He was the worst of the bunch. Now, we're going to see he's the guy who... Uh, married Jezebel, but our story is going to begin uh, back uh, or over in the New Testament in James uh, chapter five. So remember now that Ahab was the worst one. I was saying a lot. He had to be a pretty bad fellow 
because his story continues in the rest of chapter 16 and then on into chapter 17 and so forth. And when we study uh, Ahab here, we'll note, we'll note here that he married uh, Jezebel, who was the daughter of the Sidonian king. Now, the fact that her name was Jezebel tells us that she's a worshiper and a priestess of Baal because Baal's name is in her name. Now her, let's see, it says on here that uh, she was the daughter of Etbaal, Etbaal. Now he was a, also a priest uh, of Baal, Sidonian king who was also a priest, a priest of Baal. So Jezebel was trained in this uh, cult. She knew all about it. She was raised in the household and by a priest of Baal. So it was when, when, when she got hooked up with Ahab, it was her life's work to lead Israel into Baal worship. So she started with her husband. She started at home. Well, he was a pretty powerful guy. So it says in the next verse, and in, 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 I'm still in 1 Kings 16. And Ahab went to serve Baal and worshiped him. Well, that's just awful. So he eventually built a temple to Baal in Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Baal worship, and I've told you this a lot of times, you, you will remember, but for the sake of our study here to set the uh, foundation, Baal worship was filled with sensualities and depravity. Uh, it, was, it was a worship. It was the cool thing to do. Hey, the, the starlet, the new starlet, in the northern kingdom was Jezebel. Man, she wore the fanciest clothes. She flashed her eyes the way nobody else would. And she was, she was part of a lifestyle that can reach into the baser instincts of humanity and cause them to want to have the same kind of lifestyle. And that was considered worship. They had their, their priests and their priestesses were were male and female prostitutes. It was it was sort of a it was a it was a cult of it was a fertility cult, and so everything around it dealt with uh, with procreation and with sexual behavior, uh, even even aberrant sexual behavior. So this is a this is the kind of thing that swept across the northern kingdom of Israel when Ahab became king and he took Jezebel as his wife. This was the cool thing, man. We can have a we can have an orgy of ever how many people we wanted to have. We could swamp wives. Uh, men could go be with men and women could go be with women or whatever. They could have a, uh, you know, they can have a threesome or a twelve-sided, whatever the cool thing was for the day. And there were no boundaries on them. And this, this began to ruin the culture and uh, the society of the northern kingdom of Israel. And this whole thing at this point in time uh, goes back to Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, his queen. So what happens here is uh, Ahab eventually 
builds a temple to Baal in Samaria. This is where God's people, the 10 northern kingdoms, this is where God's people live, the 10 northern tribes. Baal worship filled with its sexuality and its sensuality, which was open and oh, people had a big time and they were, they would, they would inhale the ins, the opiate, the opiate incenses. I'm about to lose my laptop. Um, and they would, uh, drink wine like it was a river. Uh, so, so here we see that, uh, the people were getting worse as a society and the people of God were getting crushed into a corner. I want to, I want to keep looking at this here as I, as I scan the, the scriptures, um, it was it was it was during those days that it seemed as though Yahweh worship, the worship of the true and living God, had just about passed from the scene. We've been talking on Wednesday nights when we were before all of the quarantine set in and we were studying First Samuel, how Samuel was the beginning of the school of the prophets, what we call the school of the prophets, the office of the prophet. Well, here in the northern kingdom, uh Jezebel shut that down. She shut down the school of the prophets uh, and the prophets of Yahweh were being hunted and killed by the agents of Jezebel. But there's one thing that was overlooked that so many people when the world around us seems to be collapsing into sin. My daddy, when he would preach, he would he would call it people on a roller coaster to hell, screaming, having a good time thinking they're they're just enjoying themselves and not realizing what's at the other end of that roller coaster the crash and burn that's that's waiting for them well this is Ahab and Jezebel they're on this roller coaster and they don't realize not only what's on the other end of it but who's in control of the whole thing who's somebody's watching them namely Yahweh the God of Israel. So God prepared a man up in the hill country. We would call him a mountain man, Elijah. He was up in the hill country of of Gilead. He was separated from all the cool stuff. He was a country bumpkin. He was a mountain guy. And he, he lived separate from all of that. He lived a simple life. And the news that was coming to the ears of Elijah was was news of a situation that had to be dealt with. Yahweh does not overlook that kind of thing for, for long. Yahweh will act. And he acts when, when those who are supposed to be his people, especially when they start getting involved in that kind of stuff. Judgment is not far away. So uh, here's, here's the story of Elijah then. Um, and God was preparing him. And when I, when Elijah comes on the scene, life's not going to be the same in Israel. So when we think of the resources that we have in life, probably the great, well, not, who can say probably, the, the, the greatest resource is our freedom to pray to God, to pray to our God. So the story actually, let me, Go back over to the uh, New Testament here. 
The story actually, for us, for our purposes, begins in James chapter 5, and uh, it'll, it'll be on down here for, for your Bible, it'll probably be verse 16. Uh, and and it says in the middle of that verse, I guess, uh, the prayer, deasis, deasis, prayer. Now I say that because that's a different Greek word than the one that's used in the next phrase or sentence down here. The prayer, which is a prayer. It's an entreaty, it's a it's a it's an entreaty to God. The prayer of a justified man. Now that's an innocent man. I mean he's from a depraved and fallen world, but when God declares that we are justified, then we are righteous. We're justified. So it says the prayer of a justified man. Prevails abundant or much uh, on every side, poly, many, much, prevails much. It prevails. It prevails much. It has strength. Now, why is that? How can we say that? Because a justified man is humble before God. He understands God better than a man who's not justified. And he understands how God is to be approached and he understands what God expects and what the word of God says. So it prevails. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. It, it, um, it, uh, if it's from a root iscus, it means, it means it's vigorous. It's, it's a vigorous prayer. A righteous man is, is, has dominion. It prevails much being made effective. That is, uh, or being made, uh, being energized. That's another way you could uh, translate this because isn't that a gay is part of the word. That's energy. We get our word energy from that. So it's, it's, it's made effective. It's made to be energetic. It's a thing that God energizes. Because you see here, when we look at this, We'll note that it's in the it's in the present uh, in the present it's a participle and it's it's in the present middle and uh, it's something that's it's 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 being used uh, and acted upon so it's made it's made effective it just just because of the nature of the circumstances the fact that a righteous a justified man has engaged the Lord about it. Now that's the that's that's the precursor to the next sentence here in James, which would probably be the next verse in in your in your English Bible, because here it says Elijah was a man and uh, uh, uh it's a compound word. And it means that he had he had the same passions and affections that we do. So, if 
if things make us angry, you would make him angry. If, uh, if things would scare us, they would scare him. He had, a, he had, he was, he had the same passions and emotions, the same kind of reactions that we would. That's what it means. His nature was like ours. But in the context, we understand that he was a justified man. He was a righteous man. So here is the different word for prayer. Remember that first word was uh, uh, deasis. There it is. And this word is prosike. It means uh, it means a ooh, it means a a power prayer. Um, it means an energized prayer. Okay, so that goes back to where where we saw that the prayer of the righteous man was energized. So there's an energy that's infused within that prayer. Now Elijah comes on the same right next next phrase next verse. He's just like us. But when he's praying, his prayer has been energized and his prayer is full of all kinds of, uh, of energy. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place where a man energized to himself. It's, it's used in, the, the word here is used in the Septuagint of the rabbinical writings uh, to, to have translated the Hebrew into Greek. It's used to speak of a Jewish man who is in the world, but he has no synagogue. The temple is not there anymore. He has no synagogue where he can go, but he has to pray. So what does he do? He just prays from within his energy that, that, that God makes available for him. This is, this is Elijah, okay? So here's a world that Elijah lived in. Here's the northern kingdom of Israel, man there on a roller coaster to hell. They're worshiping Baal and they're carrying on with aberrant sexual behavior that is unchecked. I suppose if you and I could catch a glimpse of it, uh, although there are a lot of, a lot of that kind of thing goes on in our world, we, it might even still make us ashamed uh, to see what they were doing. I, I don't know. I kind of doubt it. You know what I'm talking about. We see it all the time on TV and ugh, everywhere else. So this was, this was the society. Now, Elijah's kind of separated from that. God's dealing with him out there in the mountain, in the mountainous, the hill country. And so it says, energized as he had, as his prayer had become, then he throws this energetic prayer up to Yahweh, up to the Lord, and he prayed for it. Now, this is still in James. He prayed for it not to rain, and it did not rain upon the earth. Three years and six months. Mm. That's pretty. That's pretty rough for people. No rain for three years and six months. So Elijah was a man energized before the Lord. His prayer was energized, and he brought a he brought a power prayer before Elijah before Yahweh. Elijah brought the prayer before Yahweh before God and he had specific needs and he wanted he wanted God to deal with the situation he didn't want to see his people sinful like this he wanted them to straighten up 
So he prayed for a drought and prayed that that drought could be used by God to glorify God so that the people would turn back to God. So his energetic, powerful prayer engaged, in a sense, the power of God, but the whole thing that energized his prayer was God in the first place. So it all comes from God and it goes back to God. It wasn't the power of Elijah uh, that made the prayer effective. It was the prayer of God. That's what James is teaching us. So he lifted this energetic prayer, this God-given specific prayer up to God, this simple man who lived on the other side of the Jordan River. And he lived among people who were free spirits. They were unbridled. They, they were very plain and simple in their appearance, probably somewhat shaggy uh, in their appearance. Their lives were uncomplicated. Their lives were simple. Mostly they tended sheep. They were mostly a pastoral uh, kind of people. But somehow Elijah comes under a conviction about the condition of Samaria and the people of God over there listening to this awful mess that Ahab and Jezebel had introduced to the people of God in the northern kingdom of Israel. So, now the Bible teaches us that uh, that we should pray. And there's more than once when, when powerful prayers from simple people uh, brought about results that, of course, God had purposed always. For example, they prayed for Peter when he was in prison, these simple folks and the jail, the cell door of, of Peter's cell was, was opened up and Peter just walked right out of prison. Of course, remember uh, the prayer for the sun to stand still and it did. Uh, there's so many others, but here in this case, it's Elijah praying for the rain and the dew to stop. And it turns out that the length of time was three years and six months. Well, the first thing I want to note about the resources of, of Elijah was his greatest resource, that is prayer, a connection with God. But the second resource that he had was I call performance. He did something about it. Look at this. Uh, now we're in chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Elijah said something to Ahab. Now, there's several things implied here that we should take note of and teach ourselves a lesson about it. That was said to, all right, he became an active servant of God. He wasn't going to be passive about the situation. He was going to be a servant of God and he was going to be active in his service. Not only that, it wasn't going to be something that he expected that he was going to stay right where he was. He was going to leave his comfort zone and go to where Ahab was. And it was a long and difficult journey. It was a tiresome, it was difficult, it was hard, it was arduous. His service to the Lord cost him something. But then as I keep reading here, uh, when it says he said to Ahab, that means that he went looking for the king. He knew where to go. He didn't dance around the issue. He went right directly to the source 
of the issue, and he brought a message from God, the word of God. There's nobody in this world exempt from or higher than the word of God. Nobody. So he brought it to the word, and that was, I'm sure it was an unpopular message. Man, this is going to, how dare you judge me? Who are you to say that I can't do these things? You know, I'm, I can do what I want to do. I'm a free spirit, a free soul to do what I want to do. And the king says I can do it. And Jezebel says I can do it. And boy, her God is cool, man. He encourages this kind of behavior. But that didn't stop Elijah from serving the true and living God. So seeing all of that, we realize he was a man of conviction. He knew that the time had come for him to get up off of his knees, come out of his prayer closet, and perform. His first great resource was prayer, but his second resource was performance, action. He did something. Third resource is what I call prejudice. <laughs> it's a bad word these days, but it's just, hear me out. So it says here, he said to Ahab, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives. Did you know Elijah was prejudiced? He, he thought there was only one God. And he thought that great judgment and terrible things would come upon those who shunned the true and living God. He was convicted about that. So he was a man of prejudice. He said, as Yahweh... The God of Israel lives. Baal was dead. Baal didn't live. He's just a piece of rock or something or carved out of wood or whatever. He didn't live. There was nothing about him uh, that was alive. Nothing. But Elijah calls the name of the God of Israel. And then he goes on and he says, he's the God of Israel. Baal is not our God. Yahweh is our God. He believed that Israel only had one God. A lot of people who call themselves God's people believe that they can kind of prance around and dilly-dally and, and play with other gods while they try to hold on to the true and living God. Well, you're going to see where that gets them as we go through this these six lessons. But now his prejudice was toward Yahweh and against Baal. Now, he didn't make any bones about that. That's the way it was in his life. So it didn't matter to him if he made Ahab uncomfortable, if he made Jezebel uncomfortable, if he made all of Israel uncomfortable. That didn't matter. He had to obey God. He had to, he had to obey and pay homage to the true and living God and to remind the people of God that there's only one God in Israel. And that's, that's Yahweh. So he's a, he's a fearless guy. He didn't care who he embarrassed. He didn't care who he made uncomfortable. Uh, now, there was, as we go through this, we, there was a remnant in Israel who remained loyal to Yahweh. Uh, so there were some who were just very few of them, some who were just overjoyed to hear his message and to see Elijah come. But he was not afraid here to stand with God and to stand for God, regardless of what everybody else was doing. You know, you can think of uh, you can think of what's happening to people, how they're influenced today, for example, by the media, or by certain political persuasions, or 
by academia, academics, or Hollywood. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Everything that that uh, that draws the attention of people is against the true and living God. It's been that way for a long time, and it's going to be that way until the kingdom. But we have there's always this remnant. Here's here's uh, here's Elijah. Man, he's 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 risking everything. Now you can hear the people. Well, you know, we have room for compromise here. Plenty of room for all this. You can do what you want to do, and we can do what we want to do. Can we just lovingly? We're the people of God. Can we just lovingly accept the ways of others, even if it offends God? God's an understanding and a loving God. No, doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. So God expects His people to worship and be true to Him. He's a jealous God. The Bible says that many times in in the Bible. So this third characteristic that was a, a resource for Elijah in his service to Yahweh is that he was prejudiced. He had prejudice toward Yahweh. Fourth resource was his position. The God of Israel before whom I stand. Elijah took his place with Yahweh. He not only stood for God and with God, he stood before God, which means that he had an obligation. He was a loyal servant. He knew that God was everywhere, and he knew that Yahweh was his God and that God had positioned him for this moment in time. And he knew that wherever he was, he was always standing in the presence of God. He knew that. And that's the way it is with you and me. And for all that we're facing today, we're in the presence of God. He hadn't gone anywhere. God is working out his purpose. We trust that. Jesus is our Sabbath. He has completed everything required of his Father. And we rest on the completed work of Christ and we rest in the consoling arms of the Heavenly Father who is working out his perfect will. So, you know, this is we're, we're in his presence. Ahab and Jezebel may be threatening us and trying to do things, but, they, you know, we're in the presence of God. So, so this, this, uh, this fourth resource was position. He was a man of position. He was in the presence of God, and he knew it. The fifth thing that I see as a as a uh, a resource for Elijah as a servant of God in that day was his persistence. Next, it says, "Surely this is Elijah to Ahab. Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain." these years. Elijah saw his commitment to God as a long-term commitment. I'm in this for the long haul. I am in it in thick and thin, and we're going to see, man, it was thick and thin for Elijah. It was rough. It was good things and bad things. And we're going to get a lesson from him in every one of these lessons, I think, uh, because the Bible says he's just like us. James says he's a man who has passions, emotions. He's just like us. You no different. So Elijah here 
these years. He didn't say days or what. He said, these years. I'm here. My service to God is as long as it takes. He wasn't thinking in terms of days, weeks, or months. Elijah was thinking in terms of years. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years. There was no doubt in Elijah's mind that he was going to stay on God's side. No doubt in his mind. Well, the prophet, I guess, when he came into Samaria, when he came into the presence of Ahab, or when he saw in the surrounding villages what was going on, he could see, man, this is going to be a long work. This is going to be something. He knew it was going to be an involved work. The hearts of an entire nation, the hearts of the people of an entire nation would have to change. Proud Jezebel would have to be humbled. Evil Ahab would somehow have to be broken before Yahweh. So Elijah was in it for the duration. So this is his, this is his, uh, this is his testimony. However long it takes, I'm with this to see it through to its end. So that, that fifth resource was his persistence. He was persistent. His final resource is what I call personal. He made it personal. Look at the last phrase. Except by my word. Elijah assumed personal responsibility to serve the Lord this way, knowing that the Lord would accomplish his purpose. So Elijah became deeply involved. He's no longer just a, a, a mountaineer up there in Gilead in the hill country and, and, and living among simple and somewhat backwards people. You know, he could have asked, he could have asked Yahweh. He could have said when Yahweh called him or whatever, he could have said, well, what can just one man do? You know, he could have said that. He could have found millions of excuses for not doing the work. And he could have thought that somebody else was better qualified. He could have doubted that a child from his background would have any business standing before a king. He could have been afraid of ridicule because of his clothing or lack of training. He could have decided it was too far. It's too far from Gilead to Samaria. It's just too far away. He could have stayed in his comfort zone, but he didn't. His very name, Elijah, it means God is my strength. So to Elijah, this was something that was personal. The greatest resources in life for a dedicated and committed servant of God. Boy, these are good times for us at home just to sit and reflect on such things as that. Elijah, just like us. The New Testament says so. That doesn't come from the Old Testament. That's New Testament. New Testament says Elijah, just like you. You're no different from you. Except that he was a man of great conviction and action. And he would follow the Lord. He was in, he was in for the long haul. How are we going to emerge from this? When the, when the all clear sounds and, and we go back, 
It's going to be the same old stuff. Or we're going to be closer to God, more convicted, more committed. God gives us these times right now, these days, to reflect upon that. What do I need to do for the Lord? Uh, what are my resources that God has given to me? And, and how can I move about in this world to the glory of God? Well, that ends, uh, that ends our first, our first of six lessons on Elijah. Remind you once again that, uh, CO2 starts at 1030 with our music. He'll be, he'll be at his home, uh, leading us in, in, uh, in our worship. Then, uh, as soon as he, as soon as he goes inactive, I'll, I'll go live and I'll bring a Sunday morning message, uh, from the God. We're in the gospel of Luke still as we continue, uh, through gospel of Luke. Well, let's pray. Father, help us in these times that sometimes seem lonely to reflect upon who we are in our service to you. Teach us things about who we are as we think about Elijah and who he was in your service. Father, I pray for all of Shiloh. I pray, God, that you'll bless them, all of us. I pray for your strength and for your protection from the virus that's going around. Give us wisdom and understanding and help us to grow in this time in our spirits and in our hearts that they might grow closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for our church family and for the privilege and the opportunity to study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen.